1: have accessed entry 746.IS2903. Certificate number 31247. The Mafeking Cadet Corps. On my honor, honor, I will will do do my my best to do do my duty duty to God and my country
0: and and to obey the Scout law, to to help other other people at all times, to keep keep myself myself physically strong, mentally awake,
1: and morally straight.
0: We should explain to future uh, lava lizards living in the wilderness, struggling for survival in the rubble of our civilization. Lava wilderness. Living in abandoned radio shacks. Mm. Uh, We should explain that people used to do that for fun.
1: People Live in the rubble of abandoned radio shacks?
0: Yeah, sure. I guess. They were called tweakers. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. No, people would just go out into the... A wilderness for fun this is maybe the first time in history when do you think the first people camped for fun victorians
1: we've we've we bounced from tweakers because i was going to have i have so many tweaker stories even recent ones but let's see the first time people went out i mean it was part of the enlightenment that the idea that the yeah, wild
0: natural the city sucks yeah the people, which was true sewers having not been invented
1: but like indigenous people were somehow uh, benighted,
0: and the forest is full of you know the Emersonian stuff about the transcendental experiences that will await you in the virgin forest.
1: Wait, wait, wait! Did I say benighted? benighted. I, think, I think
0: you called them benighted.
1: No, benighted means uh, pitiful, and and the the uh, the Enlightenment uh, people felt that that uh, indigenous populations were, or it, it was one theory that they were, you know, elevated. They enlightened. Were, they were an enlightened people. They hadn't been
0: despoiled by civilization and they lived in a state of grace. I thought you were thinking they were benighted and you were ready to march out with your hymnal and and convert and a few convert, them. convert a few savages.
1: Some enlightenment people felt that way about it. There was a, awesome there was a, a lot of public argument about indigenous people in the enlightenment. But anyway, moving forward. Did did any of those people uh, actually go camping is your question Thoreau I guess yeah <laughs> so, right does that count? <laughs> it does it does and that was a very popular book
0: I think the Victorians did I think they yeah. would I think they would go uh, think what what a lark uh, uh, bring Mabel we'll, we'll even bring the children well I'm you, making this all up and I'm not gonna look it up in you fact, know but.
1: in those big uh, uh, the big estates that had follies built um Outdoor buildings, yeah, with or folk, uh,
0: folk kind of what,
1: Greco-Roman
0: didn't vibes. Didn't Marie
1: Antoinette have a little yeah. rustic village? She had a petite
0: trianon, yeah, that they right. ju- that they just built for her because she said, uh, "I would like to have a petite trianon."
1: So you know, t- they would traipse down at least to the to the far end of the estate and cook, uh you know, roast a goat or whatever. But it used,
0: uh, it used to be the aristocracy because no one else had time for traipsing. Right. When are you going to traipse? When you're bringing in the millet.
1: Right. When are you going to traipse when you're bringing in the millet? It's also That's... not
0: fun if you're in the fields all day to be like, hey, kids, would you like to sleep in the field? And they're like, we did that three years ago, daddy, when the sorghum crop died. Right. Um, but today uh, but we're- So
1: what does the historic record say, Ken, about the first people to, to uh, throw on a sack and- It was probably some 50s dad. The station wagon <laughs> haven't been invented. Well, now, and, and the, uh, another question would be the age of exploration- is it really just rich yeah. people folly uh, going out on a on a camping lark?
0: Well, the thing about the age of exploration is it makes camping sort of seem cool, which is kind of the story in this entry. You know, it uh, the, it's not just that camping is romantic, but it's also adventurous. Well, sure, and, you- and connotes ideas of, of of boys' own adventure tales from from faraway parts of the globe, and uh, and you know, as you say, the. The exotic residents thereof. You were always also
1: trying to steal some Aztec gold.
0: I mean, that's the main thing. Yeah, right. And in fact, gold is literally the inciting element of of our story today of the Mafeking Cadet Corps. Oh, exciting! Um, but uh, I don't know. What's your what? We must have talked about this. What's your camping CV? Do you take the Do you take the kid camping?
1: Well, you, uh, you know, growing up in Alaska, car camping was not. A thing that I I can't think of anyone who who went car camping. Everybody went camping camping. Um, there, uh, partly there wasn't that infrastructure of big campgrounds with established fire pits and um, and so. But also there's just there's a, an abundance of places. Yeah, just well you just I mean you can go camping five minutes outside of Anchorage. You just pull over and and walk into the brush.
0: And is that a thing people do? They'll just yeah. tent camp in some. pretty spot where where like much of Alaska, there is no one.
1: Yeah. We, we used to go, uh, on three, four day hikes where you would hike up and, and when you got tired, pitch your tent on a flat place of ground. And then the next day hike higher. It was usually about gaining altitude hike until you are at the top of something
0: and and but the top's always a false top well, and yeah. you think hey look over there and that's the problem then
1: you're like oh we got to keep going and then you and encounter- everyone in Alaska <laughs> ends up
0: on top of Denali and well, they're yeah. like we did it
1: what happens is you encounter you always find like a big steep sh- field of shale yeah and it's like how are we going to get across this shale and then everybody ends up just sliding down the shale which is incredibly fun if you if you lose like 1500 feet, just like on a, like surfing on a piece of shale. I'm learning
0: so much about Alaskan hobbies. Yeah, it's really. Sliding down (laughs) the shale, sliding down the shale. This was
1: true for my family. I don't know if that's true for everybody. But then when I came back to Washington, you know, I guess I'd gone to YMCA camps and stuff, but.
0: Boy, there's a camping culture here today with the abundance of, the abundance of young male people with. Money and BMWs for the first time in their lives, but the car and the camping thing
1: really baffled me. Like drive yeah. up to drive up to some place and and pull over and roast weenies. Put, on a- put a tent very near your car. <laughs> yeah. Now you can see your car or those cars that or those you know the trucks that people have camping like tents on the roof. That seems very cool, but but car car camping. So anyway, in answer to your question, we are going camping. This weekend. So timely. We are going down to Oregon to go camping with some friends, and it's car camping, and we're going to roast wieners and camp, so... Marshmallows. Sit, so, in,
0: sit in uncomfortable slung back chairs... Yeah. ...and get bit by things. Get
1: every... All of your clothes smelling like smoke. I mean, I... I, I in the first minute. It sounds fun. Even, you know, I have a 10-year-old, so she doesn't want to hike to... 3,500 feet and then ride down on shale. She doesn't know if she wants to or not because she's never done it. But I think she she wants to get her feet wet with some marshmallows.
0: Marshmallows before shale. And then, <laughs> That's the uh, that's the Alaskan way.
1: <laughs> and then the car is right there. So, you know, you can, if you have a freak
0: out, you can go in and listen to Sirius FM. People must age out of camping. Old people always have RVs.
1: No, do you, are, think, do you feel like
0: you're pushing the envelope of tent camping? Well, when was the last time you spent two hours in an REI? <laughs> because it's full of old people. Uh, yeah, I guess you see them at these car campgrounds, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: with their butane stoves and their and their uh, delaminated Gore-Tex jackets.
0: I have all the stuff. I have a camp stove, and we've got tents and sleeping bags. But the problem is...
1: Did you grow up camping?
0: No. Is there camping S- South in South Korea? Korea not being particularly conducive. Right. Um so really, tell that to the cast of Mash. Boy, they had tents. <laughs> they they camped for ten years. <laughs> they gave their tents a fun name like the Swamp, and they had distilleries in them. Oh. Uh, so I'm the most like pro camping person in my family, and I could take or leave it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right.
0: Like Mindy finds, and the thing is, my wife just dislikes camping, and she is incontrovertibly correct. Yeah, that's true. We have a really good life. And camping, and there's so many better ways to experience nature now that there is really no need to hike to 3,500 feet and then find an appropriate piece of shale to get back down on.
1: You guys rent a helicopter and it takes you to 3,500 <laughs> feet and you, you griswold for a minute and get back in.
0: Well, I mean, you know, it's there's there's plenty of... I enjoy hiking. There's so many just middle-class ways to enjoy nature that do not involve sleeping on the ground, eating food that is not as good as the food anywhere else, wearing clothes that, as you say, do not smell as good as the clothes anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, camping is full of privations and I I don't really know how I would sell it to someone. And so, you know, the kids would be good sports occasionally and, and sometimes at different ages, they would even want to camp, but it was pretty sporadic and I would really have to drive it. And again, I'm like a 5.5 <laughs> at best on camping. Do you feel a certain obligation as a Northwesterner to kind of like have that hearty camping? I think that's part of it. and not yeah. just as a Northwesterner but as a as an American man. Yeah. We I was car, we were car camping with the kids once and I could not get my I got my kindling and I got my tinder and I got the the four stages of things you're supposed to get to light your fire and I could not get the fire to light. Oh, that's and, embarrassing. And I did not feel like The way I would feel normally, if um, you know, some skill didn't work, my risotto didn't come out, or my uh, I couldn't get the tabs to align on my on my word processing document, like I really did feel like what kind, what a primal failure I am.
1: Yeah. Did you Did you start using the title to your car and your birth certificate and stuff, (laughs) trying to get it lit? uh, (laughs) Your your
0: master's thesis kid nearby had a thing of lighter fluid. I was like, Uh, hey, can I? uh," No, don't use lighter fluid because then the the weenies taste like. Yeah. I don't know. What. They taste
1: like lighter fluid, but Thank also you. it's, you know, it's dangerous.
0: Uh, oh, it's fine. Because the
1: flame can go up the stream of lighter fluid into the oh, can the, and create a bomb.
0: We did not. <laughs> <laughs> that, that happens if you pee on the fire, too. Yeah, it does. <laughs> or it when you pee <laughs> on the is, uh, on the third rail. The
1: flame goes right up your urethra. No,
0: we did not. I did not pour lighter fluid on a lit fire. The yeah, problem at this yeah, point yeah, was the, the fire, like the uh, whole weekend, was not lit. I see. Um yeah, I, it, but I remember that feeling of man, I I should have been paying attention in scouts. Yeah, man not man. Exactly. And really that's it's a dumb way to feel. Like we do not live in a time when that's a survival skill for at least another five to seven years. But you've got that to, kind of stuff is not gonna be a survival you've
1: skill. You've gotta be able to light a fire. I mean, don't wait don't wait seven years to figure it out after you're living in a in a uh in a Radio Shack with lava lizards.
0: No, uh, you can't see. It's you, too, well, I guess if lava. I know around, you love having every skill you would need in that scenario, but it's yeah. a it's a dream. It's a beautiful dream. You, mm-hmm. I will never have every skill I would need in that scenario. I'm 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 going to last thirty seconds in that scenario, even if I get all the all the gear. We
1: have a group of friends that call me Sparky. Uh, that's that's because of your hand right radio. No, uh, no, because I will light a fire. You know, anytime a group of people stops on a trail. For more than 20 minutes,
0: I'll get a fire going. That's that's actually called ar- arson or... No, no, no. I mean, you
1: know, like a contained fire, a little cooking fire or, a, or warm yourself around the fire kind of fire. So I like to start fires. And I, I'm also a pyromaniac. I mean, I will sit and stare into a fire until you pull me away, but because the flames can...
0: But did you do like scouting as a kid? Did you have... Uh, or, or did you do all Alaskans basically do scouting just by uh, osmosis?
1: I was an avid Cub Scout and really engaged in all the Cub Scouting things, but it didn't really translate to Boy Scouts. I mean, I was a Boy Scout, but... Um, but
0: my, do you still obey the law of the pack? I do. It's very important part of the I Cub do. Scout uh, oath is that you're going to obey the law of the pack. Obey the law of the which pack. Which seems a little ominous. What's the pack going to um, do? Is the pack going to go chase down gazelles?
1: Yeah, If that, that's the law, if it, that's the law. Is the
0: pack going to go wilding in Central Park? No, in fact,
1: I, I got my chip and tote, uh, which was my, uh, my chip and tote. Which I know <laughs> a
0: lot of made up scout words and that is not a thing.
1: <laughs> no, but your chip and tote is what you get when you have passed all the requirements to be able to carry a knife or hatchet um and it, you know you have to pass all the tests Oh,
0: cuz you can tote it and then chip things with it yeah chip you can tote it and it should then be chip. called a toten chip toten chip
1: well, maybe it was <laughs> i always call it a chip and tote but uh but i you know i passed all the requirements i was very proud i carried a hatchet on my belt and then one time when a group of kids i was out in the woods and i
0: cut and off I, someone's hand
1: no i threw my hatchet at a tree and some scout leader saw it and was like your chip and toad is revoked. You deserve to lose your chip and toad. That's terrible I uh, did. hatchet etiquette. I was extremely ashamed uh, at losing my chip and toad or toad and chip, <laughs> and uh, and that you know again I had violated the law of the pack.
0: Uh, apparently, yeah. Aquila did. Aquila tell you to yeah. <laughs> turn in your turn in your. Chip. That's the funny thing about Cub Scouts is it all comes from the Jungle Book, The thing <laughs> we all love. <laughs> I hope I can achieve uh, Panther level. It predates Disney turning them all into cute cartoon characters. Yeah, right. Uh, I wonder if they were mad, like they thought Jungle Book sounded so cool and you know, yeah, dangerous. Kipling is the is the the frontier and the the wilds and the the farthest reaches of the empire.
1: I bet Kipling rolled over in his grave,
0: but he was doing that already. Probably for a variety of other reasons. Maybe they market. Maybe they um, licensed it. You know, you can be the barbershop quartet vulture, and you can be the.
1: I think some of it is, as I transitioned to Boy Scout, like to be a successful Boy Scout, it's harder. You have to do things. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. And being a Cub Scout, you know, everything is kind of handed to you.
0: It's just a, it's just weekly Weekly activity day. Today we're going to do a craft.
1: Yeah, right. Whereas so, Boy Scouting, it's like, oh, you want that merit badge? Well, go figure it out, and fi- and you
0: know, and that's like find an she- astronomer in your community, <laughs> find out four different ways in which astronomy has changed his life. Scouting eh. has
1: scouting has watered down now because anytime I'm out in the trails, I find somebody's Eagle Scout project. And they built a bench
0: somewhere and then put their, put a big plaque on it like, you, are, you know. You are on the record that Eagle <laughs> Scout projects are yeah. now just big. Um, just They're basically fascist architecture. Uh, or that or,
1: or it's great inflation. Like, this is your Eagle Scout project? Shouldn't you have built an old folks home? Shouldn't you have made a, a solar-powered car that drives across the de- – you built a bench? Like, come on.
0: We have na- Our neighbors next door have, have two boys and they are avid uh, Boy Scouters for, yeah. for some reason that uh, I don't – understand because it's 2020 and they are... They
1: live on Finney Ridge. They're, they're
0: liberal Seattleites. And, yeah. and But for some reason, they he must have been a, just loved scouting as a kid and the kids both just love scouting. And it just seems like hard work. They are perpetually yeah. driving to someplace in the Cascades.
1: My best friend in high school was an Eagle Scout. And actually, the guy I'm going camping with this weekend is an Eagle Scout. Oh, we're in good hands. And, uh, and it really did feel like the second half of high school... He was just, like, beavering away at this. He never told anyone. He thought it would make it him very unpopular with girls. So, like, I was one of the only people in his life that knew he was really, really, you know, like, into scouting.
0: Closeted eagle scout. Yeah,
1: but then he would put on, you know, then he would put on his polo shirt and pop his collars and put his varnays on and come to school and be like, hey, whatever, man. I'm not some nerd that knows how to tie a bowline. But you've talked about scouting in the Mormon culture as being like some kind of crazy super scouting cult.
0: Well, that's kind of my experience with scouting, and it's it comes from a generation that was a super... The Mormon affinity for scouting, I don't know if it's a just a cultural accident or if it really is just part of, you know, being in the Mountain West where rugged boys' adventure... Frontier. ...seems important, the frontier, and also just keeping, keeping the youth out of trouble. You know, there's a... Um, Got to find a way to keep the young ones moral after school.
1: Yeah, keep those Barnets off of them.
0: With the with the presence of a pool hall in this community, <laughs> so the the answer was dancing. A, so exactly. <laughs> so the answer was, um, you know, if you if you keep them, if you keep them, what tying knots and uh, and making fire, they won't touch themselves.
1: Yeah, keep the boy, keep the boys in canvas tents, so the girls can be working on their needlepoint.
0: And so that generation that kind of came up just formed as a good person like that, probably by like my neighbor, like my neighbor Oscar, the, the generation that came up formed by that is like, you know, my kids have got to have this too. But in this case, they ran a, a major religious organization that ran the American Mountain West. And so they can make it compulsory. And, and Latter-day Saint kids are essentially conscripted into the Boy Scouts. We haven't, really? yeah, it's like a draft.
1: Are all the Romney boys, comes up. they're all Scouts,
0: I'm oh, sure. you can just tell by looking at them, can't you? <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't care to speculate, but, uh, yeah. but it really does become the... Um, Kind of the the youth camp youth night arm of the of the LDS Church for for teenage boys is it, it all runs according to Boy Scouts and I remember really kind of chafing at it a little because of
1: were you conscripted did you were you forced into scouting
0: yeah sure every oh. uh, living even living in Korea every Wednesday night I oh. mean there, we we camped sometimes although there weren't that many
1: options how many uh, how many different kinds of knots can you tie. Uh.
0: See, that's the thing. I see. It was just I was just hanging out with my friends. I didn't like the um, so scouting, as we'll see, has a real paramilitary. Uh, I know the o-
1: origin and ethos. I know the Soviets say that because uh, because in the <laughs> in the movie uh, Red Dawn, the uh, invading Cubans and Nicaraguans all uh, talked about scouting. You know the the Wolverines were all scouts, and they were described as a paramilitary
0: operation. Then that's why. And that's what saved America. Well, well, I mean, just think about it. all the language of it is troops and patrols. And we to, to yeah. us, it's second nature. Like, of course, that's how scouting is. But no, scouting was created as an outgrowth of military. And in fact, the word scouting didn't used to mean a youth movement. Scouting, as, as we will see, and as we learn about the Mafkin Cadet Corps, just meant reconnaissance. Right. And it got repurposed for for, uh, for young boys just as a result of just kind of a single historical accident and cult of personality. First in, last out, Ken. Is that from Red Dawn? No, that's Recon.
1: That's their motto.
0: First in, last out. Yeah. Good job, Recon. Yeah, that's I mean, right. they really put in the hours. They do. Don't you think somebody <laughs> comes- there first. Doesn't somebody come list. before Recon and build them like infrastructure?
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, w- before Recon is the SR-71, right? Looking down at, from, from-
0: But the Soviets high. had youth, had uh, rugged youth. Bo- like, did, oh, for sure. Did you know Peter and the Wolf? In Peter and the Wolf, Peter is like a member of the young Soviet lads or whatever it's called.
1: Peter and the Wolf doesn't predate the Soviet Union? no. I didn't know that. Uh, no, it's... Uh, I felt like that was some kind of ancient Russian... I know. You
0: think it's going to be Baba Yaga. Yeah. But um, but uh, Prokofiev was a 20th century composer, and so Peter is a, is a proud member of the... Wait, is the wolf capitalism? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I never knew. The duck is the Orthodox Church. <laughs> the bird is the Western running dogs of the... Uh, no, so so the Soviets really kind of believed in this kind of you know the the good young boys, and it's the same reason. Think of the kind of loyalty to the institution that gets created when all the boys have to go out in the woods together and rely on each other. And uh,
1: I think their experience in Stalingrad probably put a, a different spin on this whole learn to light a fire <laughs> business.
0: Yeah, nobody camps for fun anymore in Russia. I think
1: learn to eat rats.
0: The uh, the LDS Church has recently like left. It has kind of quit its official connection.
1: Is that because they allowed g- gay
0: scoutmasters? I think there's some kind of. Uh, I think a lot of the that was the imp- uh, that was the impetus for it. So, or same time, it- I think the culture had already been moving away from it. There was a recognition that this was not a good fit for Christianity in every way. To have to spend all your kids' free time learning how to do increasingly arcane outdoorsmanship skills. Did they
1: join the, the YMCA Indian Guides? Because <laughs> I was a member of the Indian Guides as a little kid, and we all, you know, like as you moved through the ranks, you would wear different colored feathers in your headdress.
0: It just occurred to me that somebody must have created some weirder, more conservative version of Boy Scouts now that does not have um, gays and women.
1: I'm sure it's called the, the white nationalist front,
0: <laughs> <laughs> the Boogaloo Boy Scouts, proud Boy Scouts. How, um, how far did you advance in scouting? Oh, not at all. I was—I oh, mean, oh. I was—you know—I was 16 or 17. I was the senior patrol leader, and I could not care less about the requirements for star or life or whatever. Right. Um, and I think I didn't like that either. I didn't like the idea that there was advancement. I think some kids would really love that. Like, oh, I'm—I'm I'm just three points away from this merit star thing. Right. Um, and I didn't respond to that at all. And, you know, it's, it's, it's also become controversial because for a couple of reasons. One is that um, there was really no equivalent infrastructure for women, maybe because Girl Scouts seemed a little too progressive.
1: Oh, I thought it, I mean, I've always wondered why Girl Scouts are out selling cookies. Like, why aren't there Boy Scout cookies? Well, I know why, because they would suck. But, um,
0: you've had scout camp food. You
1: know, I was, I was down at the, uh, I was down at, at a downtown hotel one time with uh, my daughter when she was just like three or four and a group of six girl scouts were, you know, were kind of racing around up and down the stairs in the, in the, at the, at the four seasons. And I stopped them and said, you know, and kept a very you know, a very grace, gracious distance from them in stopping them. I didn't like stand on the stairs and say, halt. I was like, excuse me, can you tell me more about Girl Scouts? And they all gathered around all excited and really sung its praises. And they seemed like extremely capable 10 and 12 year old girls, um, who really were like, Girl Scouts is great. You should get your daughter into it. Here are all the great things we do. And it did sound like a world of adventure rather than, um, because my sister was a, a what a bluebird a brownie she was a brownie yeah and uh, it's Cub
0: Scout equivalent for Girl Scouts.
1: and I, but she didn't she didn't move into Girl Scouts I didn't think I don't think there was anything there for her
0: I know lots of Mormon girls like a lot of my nieces are Girl Scouts you know it's it's fun for the same reasons there's just no institutional support for it. and it, and it felt weird to me when they would just talk about all the important uh, qualities of of being a, a good boy scout or man that were being taught and they all just seemed like skills that they all seemed like attributes that were not gender specific at all they'd be like well the reason why boy scouts is good is because it teaches boys to be self reliant right. and every time i heard an adjective i'd be like but but everybody should be self reliant that's not a gendered thing everyone should be able to make a tunic out of deer skin a sash a, a girl oh. scout sash out of deer skin <laughs> everybody should be able to make thin mint cookies out of deer skin
1: you know, I, when I left the Scouts, I went, now that I think about it, in a way more paramilitary direction because I joined the Civil Air Patrol Cadet Corps, which was not even pretending right. not to be a Air Force auxiliary. That actually was. A, yeah. That's, is that ROTC for the Air Force, basically? Yeah, but but like separate from school. Yeah. But yeah, if you advance through the ranks in the Civil Air Patrol, you can go to the Air Force Academy and come out with, you know, it's, it bumps you into the Air Force with some kind of advanced placement
0: the other problem with um like the lds church kind of making scouting compulsory is that you wind up with a bunch of people who really don't want to you know the troops and patrols are all made of people who don't really want to be there including leaders who have kind of been <laughs> frog marched into it <laughs> and so you have all these all these other patrols in your i don't know the the, the all these other troops in your uh district i don't know the battalion i don't know the Cl- nomenclature <laughs>
1: cluster in your cluster uh, in your uh like you
0: know the, the you know the lutheran and the catholic and the jewish uh, troops all want to be there right. and then the mormons are just like they have to be there and they can't get their driver's license so they get their eagle
1: maybe that's why we have so many stupid benches out here yes it's a bunch of lds kids that are like uh, how how about if i build a bench gotta that-
0: gotta do my eagle project uh
1: so, so, it so kind that of took, makes it less
0: fun. It, yeah, it kind of took away the drive and the initiative. And I didn't, I never cared about any of the again outdoor stuff because camping is empirically just not as fun as not camping. You
1: know, when I was sent to Outward Bound, there were a lot of kids at Outward Bound that wanted to be there because of the adventure. <laughs> it's not
0: scary straight for everybody, just and, for you.
1: Yeah, and I was sent to, I was sent to it as a disciplinary action, and then I was put into the troop of. Uh, of kids that had been sent to Outward Bound by the courts.
0: Oh, they're all put together?
1: I guess. I, You know, because I, I remember watching the other groups. They were, um, you know, they were uh, like mixed gender, boys and girls. They all like had their little hats on and they were like trooping off to get into their canoes and, and we watched them canoe away. And then I looked back at the group I'd been assigned to and there was a guy with a switchblade in his boot and there was a guy that had cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve and they were all there from around the country. They'd all been put there all against their will and they all resisted everything for the entire time. We were out there for two weeks camping. And, and
0: you were in Surly Cabin. Just the work.
1: Well, you know, I, I ended up like sleeping on my own out because, you know, there was, they were dangerous. Um, but l- luckily I was the only one that could read a map or light a fire.
0: So they didn't kill me. You kept them alive.
1: I was the youngest, too, because I they recognized that I was a delinquent. All those kids are alive,
0: age. and they're all Alaska state senators
1: today, thanks to you. Well, no, they were from. There was one from Utah. There was one from Miami. there oh, was they one came from, from Colorado. Colorado. They oh, came that's from, funny. and so they had. It was like it was like a like. Uh, a crash course in the types of delin the regional delinquency of like Audubon Guide. Yeah, it was like a guy from Brooklyn. Delinquents a guy- of America. It was like one of those uh, World War II yeah, movies exactly. where it's like the Jewish guy and the
0: the be- the beginning of the you know scouting the reconnaissance connection to scouting and the all the paramilitary trappings that all dates back to eighteen ninety nine. And oh, the Boer War, the Second Boer War. Oh, really? Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, the, you know, there had been a, you know, the British claim, the British Empire claimed South Africa in 1806, which they would always do. They were super good at that. Just bring a flag. Yeah. Unfortunately, there had been a bunch. Well, I mean, unfortunately, there had been Africans there for what? thousands
1: of years. How is that possible?
0: Uh, they weren't that worried about that, but did they have red wool tunics that they wore year round? No. And it's probably an advantage in much of Africa to not have a red wool tunic year round. (laughs) I believe so. Uh, but the, uh, the, there had been Afrikaans like Dutch speaking settlers there for a long time. Yeah. For 200 years. And for a while, this was a pretty low grade, low stakes conflict until gold and diamonds were discovered in South African mines. And suddenly, it became really important who had the territorial rights here, and uh, all these little conflicts turned into outright war in 1899. And fearing the war that was going to come, Britain started bulking up its South African possessions, including Natal, the the province in Southeast Africa. They sent
1: Um, Michael Caine down there to...
0: Stop, stomp around. Uh, they sent a veteran of the Zulu Wars. Actually, uh-huh. you know, he probably knew Michael Caine and all, <laughs> all the whoever else is in those movies. <laughs> uh, uh, a, a certain colonel named Robert Baden Powell. They didn't send a bunch of artillery or cavalry with him because they did not want to appear. The war war hadn't broken out yet, and they didn't want to appear to be antagonizing the Dutch and militarizing the region. Um, so they they sent Baden Powell instead. He was. He had served her Majesty in Inja, and uh, then various uh, African, pr- probably awful uh, tribal repressions, like in the Gold Coast and the Zulu Wars. Right. Again, in all in a red wool, a red wool outfit in a fort, and in classic Zulu war tradition, he decides that uh, his military strategy is going to be. Building a stronghold. There's going to be a garrison at the tiny frontier town of frontier town of Mafeking.
1: That's what you need. You always need a garrison.
0: Put everybody together. Put them with all your stores and put them behind a big wall. Unfortunately, he only has like 500 troops in this little town.
1: Big enough to build a wall.
0: Yes. So they can they can build emplacements and they can build trench warfare and you know. As we'll see, like, uh, history has maybe not been kind to Baden-Powell's... Baden-Powell's... Uh, po- powell <laughs> Badens powell uh, uh, His military strategy, in fact. Maybe the, oh. the, maybe the smartest thing to do was not to put everybody in one place and then just sit there and wait to be found. But that's what he did. And predictably, when war broke out, the Boers... Um, I don't believe all Dutch people are Boers, by the way. Many of them are. No. But, but back then, all these Dutch people were called Boers. Yes. Uh, they besieged <laughs> Mafeking and suddenly Baden-Powell and his 500 men are surrounded by as many as 8000 boers.
1: Yes, and they're they're very even now, they're pretty resentful of the British. They are. I I I met three boer guys in a youth hostel in Amsterdam and they were they they had the ability to understand Dutch. Du- Dutchy Dutch. But the Dutch couldn't understand them. Is
0: that right? Dutch can't generally understand Afrikaans. Th-
1: their their accent is just so you know slurry. And That's how you
0: can tell what the good real language is. If yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so so it was one of these situations. I palled around with them for a few days, where we would go, and they were they were they were wicked. These three, and they had this secret code where they could understand what everyone around them was saying, but then they could talk kind of very openly and and just befuddle people. And it was like a secret power. And they were very, they were there and they hated the Dutch. It was kind of like the Quebecois.
0: And they have that, ac- even in English, they have that accent, which today still says, I'm a soldier of fortune from Rhodesia. Yeah, right. And, I'm, and I, you know, murder animals and possibly <laughs> uh, locals. I'm from South Africa, Spalding. So I f- can't drown. South Africa. Yeah. Um, so, he, Baden-Powell is now surrounded by 8,000 of these guys who are, who are fighting a war with guerrilla tactics against the, you know, the, the premier army and navy in the world, the unbeatable British Empire. And in fact, there's- they su-
1: farmers in floppy hats.
0: Yeah, they're farmers yeah. in floppy hats with guerrilla tactics. And in fact, they uh, succeed. Like, the war immediately turns their way. And this becomes some of the first cracks in the foundation of the global British Empire. Is wait a second? Oh, these Dutch guys with pitchforks are uh, are fighting you to a draw. Oh, this is exciting in far away South Africa. Even though there are only five hundred of you, exactly. And part part of the problem is that baden Powell and five hundred men are just sitting there watching their stores dwindle away for two hundred and seventeen days. Oh, it's a siege. The town is besieged, and there's not, it's not like there's eight thousand boars outside at all times, like. They're, they're passing through. They're on their way to do real stuff and, yeah. you know, take control of railroads and, and ports. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Baden-Powell's sitting indoors um, while his men get so hungry, they start eating their own horses.
1: Right. They're they're tying bowling knots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: Baden-Powell is not yet the Baden-Powell of scouting, although he is famous as a scout. He was always the wilderness reconnaissance guy um. who would get sent into the new terrain first to see where the enemy's camping, where is the high ground. Yeah. Um, this is his field, and he considers himself an expert at it on two, two or three continents.
1: Feels like the high ground was there in Cape Town. Yeah, <laughs> that's where he should have been. That's
0: where he, they've got that big, they've got that big uh, mesa-looking thing. Yeah, but build your fort up there. Uh, instead, he be, but because he's one of these guys, he loves all the theatrics that can come with uh, that can come with tricking the Dutch, the the Boers. So he uh, he as soon as he takes control of the town, even before war started, he instructs his men to begin. Um, not planting mines because, again, he doesn't have any, but plant, uh, creating fake minefields. Oh. D- dig up areas so they look like minefields. Um, create just enough uh, trench-looking things so they think we have, or create just enough emplacements so it looks like there's a vast system of trenches.
1: Wouldn't it? Wouldn't you uncover a fake minefield pretty fast? Like the first guy that doesn't blow up? Yeah, but nobody tries it. That's the like, whole problem. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay. You know, it's like the emperor has no clothes. Sure. The minefield has no clothes. Um, he, uh, he instructs his men when they're out in their fake... Uh, system of trenches to pretend they're crawling under or over barbed wire although he doesn't have any barbed wire
1: <laughs>
0: so you've got all these guys in their red wool uniforms doing panto yeah right
1: out there and they don't have good enough binoculars on the other
0: side exactly exactly this all hinges on the lack of good bore binoculars because he can he can put together a uh an acetylene torch and a biscuit tin a, a cookie can for yeah. you john Thank does you. that help
1: Thank you. yeah it does i was like what I guess you you probably think
0: a cookie can is something else. Like, that's what you call butts. (laughs) Shake your cookie can. He can just, he can take stuff like that and MacGyver it into a fake searchlight. And the boars will be like, oh, they've got a searchlight.
1: This feels like the plot
0: of uh, Road Warrior. Yeah, or Home Alone. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, some of the men are even told to dress as women when they're doing menial tasks, like if they're delivering, you know, water to another troop. Okay, good. Now go put on. Maybe Baden Powell just like to see. Oh, this seems this story just like gets to see hotter, and hotter and hotter all the time. Yeah, show me your cookie. cake. They're a long way from home, John. Yeah, yeah, their their yeah. wives and kids are in. Uh, no way to say Dorset. Yeah, sure. Bristol. Sure, you've got your barrack wife. Who can say? Um, so anyway, he he's doing this kind of uh, uh, subterfuge, psyops, yeah. subterfuge, and again, the strategy is not good. But um, all this really catches the attention of the folks back home because the siege of Mafeking becomes. In the British public mind, back in London, just the center of the war.
1: Oh, because they have embedded reporters who are sending dispatches. It's even
0: better. One of the embedded reporters is no less than Lady Sarah Wilson, pioneering woman journalist, the niece of the Duke of Marlborough, or maybe the daughter of the Duke of Marlborough, and therefore Winston Churchill's aunt. Huh. Although they don't call her that at the time, it would be weird in eighteen ninety nine to be like, "Hey, Winston Churchill's aunt, what's up?"
1: (laughs) Hey, hey, Winston Churchill, who's what ten years old at the (laughs) time?
0: He would have been born. You're right. Uh, but uh, nobody's come back in time to kill him because the Nazis don't invent a time machine. Right? They um, tried. Oh yeah, they're trying. We, they know we're trying to go back in time and kill Hitler. They want to go back in time to kill Churchill. <laughs> it's down, a race. They're down in Paraguay, like working on it. <laughs> we have a baby killing gap. Um, and the other accident is that not, it's not just journalists. Edward Cecil, the uh, oh, the Prime oh. Minister's son, is uh, one of is the second in command of the garrison when when the war begins
1: and and this is a this is at a time when if they if the boers overran the garrison all these people would be protected and given tea and there wouldn't be you're not going to kill the prime minister's son you're going to
0: presumably i mean that's what it would be if it were the french or the german army but i don't know these angry guys with neck with um chin beards and and floppy hats
1: yeah well let's not slur them i mean i've already slurred them a little let's not go we're not going to get angry letters from the boers are we
0: I mean, they're descendants. The Afrikaans are lovely. Not the, ni- the weird
1: not the weird ones you met. <laughs> the 19th century Boers. And not
0: the apartheid ones.
1: No, no, no. Those are the
0: bad ones too. Um, I can't think of any good ones. Not the soldiers of fortune in Rhodesia I mentioned. I, yeah, I guess they're, I'm, they're, they're, I'm sure there's some. I know a couple of people that I guess are descended from the Boers
1: that I, that I like quite a bit, but they've been living in America for a long time.
0: I had a South African friend in um, second grade, but I guess he was the tall one that always just shoved people around a lot. Mm. I'm kind of coming up blank mm-hmm. on my search for good mm-hmm. South Africans. Mm-hmm. Charlize Theron. Okay. I'm I
1: get 100% behind that. Charlize Theron is a great I South bet African. you would.
0: She's Is yeah. she is she Dutch? I don't know what her ancestry is.
1: Uh th- yeah, no. I well, hmm, interesting. Theron, she's, Charlize
0: is clearly made up and, and Theron, Theron is, is clearly pre- made up. Pretty made up. She's an alien.
1: Yeah. She's, right.
0: she's Yeah. She's a cyborg. The 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 robot aliens crash landed there. So the so the public for the public in London, this is the flashpoint of the empire right now. They are in love with every little thing that happens to to Colonel Baden Powell. Right, and one of the things that has happened, even though Baden Powell interestingly has had no, almost nothing to do with it, is all of the townspeople, the young town boys, have been uh, kind of brigaded into a volunteer corps of cadets, not unlike your Air Force thing. Sure. Hitler Youth. The map, right. Not the Hitler Youth, the Churchill Youth, I Churchill guess. Youth. Churchill's aunt youth. Um, all the 12 to 15-year-olds in town, Edward Cecil has, um, has created them into a little cadet corps and given them, partly to keep them out of trouble and partly to free up, mostly just to free up the soldiers so the soldiers don't have to do the grunt work. But these are the kids that can now run messengers. Yeah. They, they're doing it on donkeys because it's a farm town and then eventually when the donkeys get eaten because of Baden-Powell's ridiculous siege idea uh-huh. um, on bikes right so they're biking around handing off messages you know but they're penny farthing bikes <laughs> <laughs> ding ding <laughs> they're manning observation posts and you know keep you know keeping an eye on you know these there's no artillery but they're keeping an eye on when the 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 boar cannons are on the move and they and they um, they
1: Bolster—they appear to bolster the ranks
0: too. More people, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, from a distance, you can't tell that these aren't army regulars. Not if you have. They're those staffing bo- the hospitals boar, and those bore binoculars. They don't have the binoculars. <laughs> they're delivering, uh, you know, delivering provisions. Mm-hmm. You know, all this kind of infrastructure stuff. And they're doing kick flips <laughs> yeah, on their donkeys. <laughs> the donkey being the skateboard of 1899. Now, there's not really much of a. Baden-Powell connection here at all. He did not... The troop was formed by Edward Cecil. Baden-Powell n- really never mentions them in a heart... It, there's no contemporary account of him being super involved in the Mafeking Cadet Corps. But he did have a childhood... You know, it, before he... His, his reconnaissance career came very naturally to him because he had an unconventional childhood. His, uh, his father died when he was three, mm-hmm. leaving his mother to raise a house full of boys. And she really kept him in line with kind of scout like, military like regimentation. Oh, oh, oh um, well
1: done. She was like the guy in Mary Poppins who uh, who fires the cannon on his roof every every day at noon. Yes. Or every hour. That <laughs> I, guy. It's I think
0: is it every day at six? It can't
1: be every hour. Every day at
0: but five. on the other hand, if you were on a boat, would you fire the cannon every day at six? I feel like Admiral Boom is not really in the Navy. Sto- right. stolen valor.
1: Right, I believe so. I believe
0: you're correct. If you're if you're just uh, on one of those master and commander ships, do you just fire the cannons every day at six?
1: You know, uh, my experience uh, on master and commander ships is so limited. I have no idea what they do at six. But what would you? What would be the purpose? Uh, get, get everybody around the. It's dinner time. <laughs> Instead of ringing they, a bell. Don't
0: they have a bell or a triangle uh, for they, that? They use the
1: bells for other things.
0: Ding, 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 ding. No, they use the, this is exactly what they use the bells for. Nine bells, next, oh. next in the watch. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, right. uh, captain ding, Master might ding, say ding, to Dr. Uh, Commander.
1: Dinner bell, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, no, I don't think they fire. Again.
0: I never read those books, so I assume that the, the, the doctor and the captain are named Master and Commander.
1: Our, our, or at uh, least
0: they call each other that after hours.
1: Our friend uh, Jason Finn is going to listen to this uh, episode, and he's going to write us a very angry in fact, it's going to be in the form of text messages to us.
0: Yes, Gen X drummers be reading Patrick O'Brien books. <laughs> am I right? Yeah. That classic rock stereotype we all know and love.
1: So she is employing a, a really pretty canny strategy, which is making it fun for the boys to do to, their chores. To,
0: and to do outdoor stuff, like yeah. get these kids out of my house. I'm a single mom. Right. I'm a beleaguered, a benighted single mom. Not enlightened, <laughs> no. but benighted. Go collect
1: slugs for me.
0: Go. And in fact, at one point they have a summer vacation in Wales, and she gets all the boys around and says, you know, kids, what would be fun? I'm going to take the the coach or the train, mm-hmm. possibly the train at this point, to Wales. You are going to walk. What fun. What larks, eh, lads?
1: That's pretty good. Where does she live?
0: Manchester? Yeah, the, no, North London. Like oh. They have to walk from London to Wales. And so the kids spend whatever that is, three to five days. Getting there. Walking through hayst- hedgerows and sleeping in haystacks. I don't know if you have any experience this reminds you of i yeah i'm afraid i do. did you ever walk across <laughs> wales uh,
1: <laughs> no i went the other way i went from heathrow airport to um to dover to the, to the coast yeah i went to i went the other way i went north to harwich
0: is there like a is there a, a boat
1: yeah there's a ferry to hoek van holland whereas dover takes you to france and i didn't want to go to france
0: got it wanted you, to go to you wanted to hang out with the dutch i did who I, we love this show is all about how much we love the i dutch. wanted
1: to hang out with the dutch they're they're my people they're not at all.
0: It had nothing to do with their liberal uh, drug policies. Uh, then, uh, so the kids walked to uh, walk to Wales. Oh, and, I admire this. And uh, I know I knew you would. And that was kind of the. Be- I think that's the beginning of you know the child is the father of the man. Like right. all or his, in all, this
1: case, the mother.
0: All his tromping around. All his tromping around India and uh, and Zululand, Nyasaland, probably starts right there.
1: And when they got there, did she say, "Okay, you know"? School on Monday. Turn around and walk back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. No, she has gotten there ahead of them and has the house all warm and waiting. Yeah. I'm sure. It's, I'm sure it's an idyllic scene. Um, so even, but even though Baden Powell has that in his child, he doesn't appear. There's no evidence that he really like cared much about this cadet corps. Um, but that's only the beginning of this, right? Because in May of the following year, finally reinforcements arrived, and the British papers are full of the heroic relief of Mafeking. Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of the Dunkirk of its time, where like. We screwed up, but now the re- re- reinforcements are here. Um, and, you know, so uh, the original men are all brought home, having uh, now very gaunt and all the horses been eaten. And they, they are here. Yeah. There are parades. Um, Baden-Powell becomes the youngest major general. In the British Army, and and a modern one
1: at this at this point,
0: <laughs> right? And it, because it's 1900, yeah. Right. If, if the relief had come sooner, it would have been 1899, and he would have been, still been a old-fashioned major a, general, old-timey major general. Uh, the uh, the cadets are all the 38 cadet men of the cadet corps. Um, there's there's a lot of mythologizing about poor Frankie Brown, who was killed in an artillery attack, uh, a, a young boy. Uh, I think he appears on a stamp. Even in fact, he was probably not a member of the Mafeking Cadet Corps because he was only nine. Oh, the youngest cadet on record was like eleven.
1: Did they eat him as a donkey? Is that what? Is that where he
0: went? <laughs> History does not relate, but man, I wouldn't be surprised. But this is a huge time of celebration in Britain. This is this is like. Mission accomplished. Because they they did end up uh conquering South Africa. They do turn it around. They yeah. do win the war, even though it's it was a little bit shakier than it should have been. They you know they had us in the first half, not gonna lie. Um but this is a big par- and in fact the word mathing becomes a verb meaning to have a wild par- to have wild parties. Oh. Because the British public says, Oh, we're maficing tonight. Let's bring that back. Yeah, let's mafic. Yeah. Nobody's we need a twenty first century word that a noun that ends with ing that we can back form into a verb. But I don't, I can't think of one. Uh, futureling, I guess. Futureling. What let, would I mean to futural? Let's futural. Are you guys futural? Ing uh, right would, now.
1: Yeah, it would mean uh, sending correcting emails about uh, about topics we didn't fully. <laughs> like
0: well, this rock. is this is your chance, futureling, to think of a yeah. a, a, a fun twenty first century buzzword that ends in ing that yeah, we can let, that we can back formation let's into futural. a verb. Uh, yeah Futural means when we outsource something we can't think of a funny answer to on the show. Do you like Kipling?
1: <laughs> I mean, have you ever kippled? <laughs> you naughty boy I've
0: never Kippled. <laughs> should we, we should do a whole show about dirty Victorian postcards I love that for stuff. sure. Love the DVP um, and Baden Powell uh, now that he's the the toast of Britain, um, you know during his free t- nights in the fort when he wasn't you know going from tent to tent like Henry V or, or eating horses. Uh, he is working on his book. Of course, he's working on a wilderness survival guide called "Aids to Scouting." And of course, scouting still does not mean a global youth move. And scouting still means performing reconnaissance on on uh, possibly dangerous terrain in wartime. So there's no youth component at this point. He's not borrowing from Cecil
1: and his co and his corps. He's just he's yeah. just right. Well, this is a
0: book for non-fellow non commissioned for like NCOs.
1: Right, you know, guide to being a bad boy. This or is bad-ass. how
0: this is how you're cool like me. And now that he's now it's cool like me. Hero of the Boer War, yeah. hero of the siege of the heroic siege of Mafeking, which again he brought about with his own utter lack of military strategy.
1: Did he think that this would be a military handbook that was taught the, at
0: Sandhurst? Exactly. I That's see. the idea. Like officers are going to need to know all my all my lifetime of um, of living off the land kind you know. I see. And, you know, he's not wrong. Like back then, if you were in that job, you would have to know all these, what we think of as camping, tr- uh-huh. you know, lighting fire and some foraging and first aid and- How to cook a donkey. <laughs> right. <laughs> cooking your, uh, cooking the townspeople's donkeys, even though they're kind of mad and hungry at you. Uh, Can you be hungry at someone? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. They were mad and hungry at him. <laughs> I am so hungry at you. <laughs> But in 1908, as you as you have predicted, this is about to become a children's book. Uh kids love this. That turns out to be the you know, because he's a hero, he's it becomes basically celebrity culture. It's like Oprah's book club. Right. In in the early 20th century. Like, boy, if Baden Powell thinks, you know, these are the skills a man should have, we're gonna check this out.
1: And presumably he didn't use any swears. <laughs> no there, there wasn't any like how to pick up chicks.
0: No, I mean the the kind of the uh, you know, all of the um I, doing my do, du- doing my best to do my duty to God and my country, uh, to help other duty. people and to obey the Scout Law. That all comes straight from the um, the upright nineteenth century military origins of scouting. Yeah, I'm sure he would have hated to hear swearing in the ranks or anybody saying anything untoward about S- Jonesy's mother. You know, who's ready to march up and down the square? <laughs> and it, but so in 1908, when he realizes who's actually reading this book he puts out a second edition which he calls scouting for boys because yeah. because i don't know if any military people read the book but it, it became a huge success just on the basis of, of boys larping as wilderness reconnaissance expert which is really how scouting started
1: that's how scouting that's how it's how uh, it's how recon
0: works it should be called LARP, right. boy boy larping of america not but boy scouting
1: all those snipers or whatever all they all they are, are slightly older boys that like pretend sniping i mean you know what i mean like how, how do you get into sniping well you start as somebody start with a bb that, gun yeah you start with a stick and you move to a bb gun
0: uh when the book becomes a children's book he adds an intro that's more child friendly and that means dredging his memory for interactions with the mafeking cadet corps and so the book includes you know cuz he's he's got to leverage his his greatest hits right. basically remember right. remember 8 years ago when i was the hero of mafeking so he tells a story about seeing a, a messenger boy come up on his bike and saying, "Young lad, look the look the Dutch artillery don't hit you." And he says, "They won't hit me; I'll pedal too fast." <laughs> or you know, so it's a little it's a little fun story about Governor? the about the uh, you know the 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 can do spirit of the Blitz in in mafeking.
1: And and did he hat tip to Cecil at this point? Does Cecil ever get written into the record, or is is this happening now?
0: I think only to the only in the historical record, you know, right. because. Mafeking at this point becomes in 1908 this book comes out becomes a huge seller. Uh, Baden Powell's publisher sends him on a book tour, yeah. and everywhere he goes, he speaks to eager audiences of boys. Who the second he leaves town, start up their own uh, Baden Powell troop.
1: Right, they, they also, want to be a cadet corps. They give him the three fingered salute, and then, as it were, he's like the pied piper of scouting.
0: And so it's not top down. He never says, "I'm going to charter an organization like just." boys clubs out at the the quarry or the pond or wherever they hang out naked
1: using the book as a guide
0: they've got a guide now and they start their own patrols and you know a, adults maybe are annoyed to have the boys think they're patrolling like the wolverines in red dawn but maybe it just keeps them out of trouble in yeah, the summer absolutely um and the cadet corps the Vatican cadet corps wore the khaki uniforms and the either the broad-brimmed hat or the glengarry cap i mean it's a, it's a uniform fit for africa which is why it's so funny when you see people wearing it in norman rockwell paintings in maine
1: yeah it's, it's, yeah the knee-high socks the knee-high are socks
0: nice it's just such a crazy uniform but it dates back to mafeking because baden powell is now appropriating his own past to try to sell this thing and uh, in fact the year before the book comes out he's tested all these these principles and in 1907 he's uh hand pan 22 boys that he thinks represent the future of the empire and again this is again if you're 50-year-old man, you really shouldn't be handpicking 22-year-old boys. And we see this come up in Scouting time and again.
1: Right. But he, uh, he, and, and presumably, it's an incredibly diverse group of boys from all <laughs> around the empire.
0: No. Like, uh, he wouldn't even get a kid from Yorkshire because, yeah. you know. His hair is too dark. They'll steal. Yeah. Uh, he takes them all to an island. Again, if you're a middle-aged man handpicking 22 boys, do not take them to an island. Mm-hmm. But he takes them to Brown Sea Island off of Dorset, where I think where he used to vacation as a kid. And he spends a couple weeks um, teaching them... The six the six following things camping observation woodcraft chivalry life-saving and patriotism only two my, my, of those, my, my dream jeopardy board only
1: two of those are skills
0: <laughs> you don't want <laughs> you don't want to teach someone chivalry
1: I mean it's a, it's a I guess it's a it's not a skill it's a code or
0: they seem like the rooms at like a Dwight, Dwight Schroots bed and breakfast yeah what do you think observation is?
1: Well, I mean, observation seems like a skill. I I try to. Is he uh, teach
0: them how to do magic eye?
1: Well, or uh, no, I think if if you say, okay, I want you to go look over this vista and then come back and tell me five things that you noticed. Yeah. And it turns out, oh, there was a lighthouse, and nobody mentioned it, and it's like you know it, 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 how how to um, how to pick up on what you're seeing,
0: how to see, right. You watch the video with the pretty girl in the red dress, and you miss the guy in the gorilla suit or something. Yeah, right, right. They do this in The Matrix. This is what Neo uh, gets taught by um, Lawrence Fishburne. And also like- Camping, observation. You know, tracking probably is part of that. Right, right. Looking for signs of animals. I think you're right. Um, Scouting Today has- um, But Scouting Today really still kind of has this old-timey veneer of chivalry and patriotism mixed in with the practical skills. Yeah. and the camp goes very well, and that you know the Mafeking Cadet Corps is often thought of as kind of the honorary beginning of the World Scouting movement. But these kids on Brownsey Island in 1907—they're really the ones that are, are living by his manual and saying the Scout Promise, and therefore they're officially Scouts. This becomes the beginning of a movement. And Baden Powell—is
1: this a publicity stunt, or is he how is he profiting? That's from the
0: this? funny thing. It starts out as a publicity stunt for his publisher. You know, yeah. it's it, you know this is going to sell so many books. <laughs> And I think his military career has run into trouble at this point. Um, he's no longer the hero of Making, which you know was kind of a lucky stroke he, His wilderness reconnaissance duties don't make him a real good fit for the chain of command now that he's a general and he uh you know he he's unwelcome in the military pretty quickly or he shuffled off to to less influential posts and he decides he's going to retire and donate his full his full the rest of his life to this new boys movement um which is going better than his military career is. Uh, in 1910, his sister Agnes says, well, why not the girls of Britain? And she starts the Girl Guides. So now between yes. the two of them, um, they've got movements going for all young British people to learn um, you know, how to tie knots and love of the queen. Or in the case of the Girl Guides, I, d- I don't know how domestic the Girl Guides are back then, but I would assume it's not the same skill set. Um, by the time he retires, there are one million scouts worldwide because the British Empire, still being the British Empire, it quickly spreads
1: right, to Canada
0: right. and New Zealand and Australia, and then it gets a foothold on every continent, and then, then scouting is suddenly a world. You know, it's the, it's the last time a British thing could do that at the height. Except of for, the, except for Spice Girls at the height
1: of the empire, there was a, a quarter of the world's population under British dominion.
0: And think about. Think about what kind of a market that is yeah. if you're trying to sell something to kids. <laughs> um, and, and to Baden, and it's really a personality cult at this point. Like we don't have, even in, in scouting, you know, there will still be respectful stuff in your manual about Sir Baden, Lord Baden Powell, because, you know, he he eventually is, I think, knighted for his, not for his military service as much as for his service to the youth of the empire.
1: Well, for his mustache,
0: more than anything.
1: <laughs> oh, and his And his,
0: uh, and his,
1: uh, his campaign hat, He's got that. Uh, he's got that. That Rough Riders campaign hat that became well, synonymous, he, and with he made Canada. kids wear it. Yes.
0: That's, so even after he retires from the military, he gets to keep wearing that without feeling like it's stolen valor because he's forced it on a million young kids from Canada to to uh, New
1: Zealand. He looks a lot in his older years like my great uncle Al Rochester.
0: I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. But he's a massive celebrity among the scouts. Like it's it's hard to overstate at this time how much it is a personality cult, almost like a like a fandom, like an Elon Musk fandom, or, or even a, a religious movement. You know, because there's a lot of you know. Well, that's not what Lord Baden Powell would want. What did he What did he do at Mafeking, uh, Timmy? Well, you do that.
1: And w- was he ever um, was he ever unmasked as a? As some kind of bad guy, or did he keep his reputation intact? Until no, death? his
0: reputation was was largely intact because a million boys loved him. Maybe, maybe Mr. Rogers is a good analog, even though he does not have the possibly the purity of spirit or the uh, you know or the psychological insight. Right. But he's still the one kind of molding a generation of kids by saying, you know, these are the principles that today's children need. The Scouts loved him when he married. Uh, in his old age, he married he, in his 50s. He met and Wait married. A minute, that's a, not his old age, it was back then. <sighs> oh, yeah, wow! Well. He's like 55 and he meets and marries some 20 year old, um, woman named I don't know, Olive or equivalent, mm-hmm. uh, on a boat. And they are quickly married, and it's on a boat an important part of the story i think so that's how people would meet women back then
1: oh he met they met on a
0: boat sorry they didn't get married on a boat they okay it was on a sailing to wherever he spent much of his later life in kenya he kind of retired to kenya so i think on one of his world travels kenya he meets a much younger british woman and makes a beeline for her squad goals and when they are married in when they are married in 1912 every like every scout worldwide donates a penny to buy them a wedding gift, that's the degree to which it's a personality cult. A hundred thousand pence pour in and buy him a motor car for his uh, for his wedding trip. Uh, and in fact, he, uh, you know, he and his. I'm saying her name is Olive, and I don't want to erase his wife from the. Oh, it's Olive with an A, so it kind of looks like Olaf. Olive. A- o O no, the A instead of the I.
1: <laughs> oh, I see.
0: O-O-lave? Olave. Olive. Like the snowman in Frozen. Olave. Olave. maybe it's just olive, and she um, and her parents were lousy spouses. Anyway, she becomes Lady Baden Powell, and uh, and they live happily together in Kenya. You know, he retires when he's in Kenya. He kind of retires from scouting, which has now become a massive. You know, in the 20th century, there were right there were probably scouts thick on the ground, 100 million scouts, uh, and uh, he's buried today in in Kenya. It's a national monument now. His grave has one of the wilderness symbols that he loved to teach, kind of the hobo code that he loved to teach his <laughs> his scouts in his manual. It's a circle with a dot in the middle, which means going home, which is, you know, appropriate for a tombstone. Oh, I thought it meant
1: cat's butthole. And that concludes the Mafeking Cadet Corps, entry 746.IS-2903. Certificate number three one two four seven, in the omnibus, futurelings. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, in the uh, what, what's our over and under? What's our over under on scouting? Is it going to exist for futurelings in uh, in their era?
0: I assume scouting will be. I mean, the, one of the reasons why scouting has suffered in our time is because you know they've had to pivot to merit badges like. Um, Computer programs, video games, yeah, because it, the skills once propagated by Lord Baden Powell seem a little fusty in but, today's world. You know, I went, but to, they'll uh, become increasingly urgent once civilization collapses. That's right.
1: I went to the the Filson store the other day with a friend who had purchased a bag several years ago, and it it had uh, it C- had
0: Seattle Leather Goods store. That's right. It had
1: worn out, and they have a lifetime guarantee on their products. And so we were going to the store to so he could get his bag repaired. And, uh, walking in there, the, the brand, which used to be actually an outdoor clothing brand, uh, people that are outdoors, these old people who are riding bicycles around the Northwest, they aren't wearing wool and leather anymore. They're wearing all these micro fabrics. Yeah. And so all the people in the store, they were all young people with giant beards and, um, and they were, yeah, LARPing a kind of. Outdoorsmanship, outdoorsmanship, mm. as a as a fashion statement, and you know I'm not a, I'm not uh, completely absolved of this myself, but I wonder if scouting isn't going to be a LARP of this sort of mustache wax culture. Uh, if you know, all these guys are going to have kids one day, and they're going to say, you know what, you need a seven hundred dollar hatchet.
0: Are they going to have kids one day? I mean, it all hinges on that. Yeah, I, I guess. mean, if. if uh, If Gen Z is bummed enough that they never have kids.
1: Yeah, that's what happened to Gen X. Super bummed. No
0: kids. We were bummed and had a few kids. Yeah, handful of kids. The baby boomers were bummed and had four kids. We were bummed and had two kids. But if that continues, it's either gets sliced in half or reduced by two each time. So
1: Zero kids. Gen Z, zero kids. Zero kids. Zero kids, double income. Uh, Well, if you want to find out what Ken and I are doing, you can find Ken on Twitter at Ken Jennings. Uh, You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash John Roderick. You can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You can support this program at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. Your generous donation goes toward uh, keeping the lights on here in the bunker and keeping it from being clammy and getting moisture into all my amplifiers.
0: Really? We're using the money to buy dehumidifiers? That's what we're doing with the proceeds? I mean, it's not... Most of
1: it. It's not all we're doing, but the dehumidification of this space is part of how we survive.
0: Instead of motivating people to donate based on the dampness of your basement, let's also mention that there are some pretty cool perks.
1: There are perks, but I would like to suggest that if you and I were down here and it was as humid as it could be, we would be covered with moss. And the show would not be as good. I mean, you might be pretty clever looking covered with moss. I already look like I'm covered with moss. <laughs> You're a wise
0: old man of the woods. <laughs> I don't need any help. The perks for supporting the Patreon include a bonus uh, omnibus entry every month, an addenda to the other shows. And at the higher levels, uh, they include such uh, benefits as being able to suggest a topic for the show, which was the case with uh, today's show. Stephanie, oh. uh, a former girl guide herself. I'm going to assume Stephanie is from one of the uh, Britain or elsewhere in the Commonwealth. Right. Uh, not one of the benighted ones. One of the good ones. Yeah, sure. Uh, a Girl Guide herself, and uh, wanted us to talk about the origins of scouting. So, uh, thank you for your support, Stephanie. This one's for you,
1: um, Stephanie, and all the Girl Guides listening are are probably members of the Omnibus Futurelings uh, community, which is which now spans the internet. Um, so, just go in and, and uh, type in Futurelings to the to the search bar of whichever program you like the best. And it will direct you to one of the social media sites where futurelings congregate and thrive. And you can mail us actual things. You can mail us uh, 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 any some record of your the your siege that you survived, uh, preserved donkey meat. Please
0: please don't send that. Please send preserved donkey meat. Uh,
1: but send us mail at P.O. Box five five seven four four Shoreline, Washington nine eight one five five. Ken, have you got any mail over there?
0: Yeah, no donkey jerky today, but um, I do have a distinctive postcard that's come all the way from the Southern Hemisphere. Leanne and Mar, this is from Mari. She and her sister Leanne are uh, in Kenya. They're Filipina, and oh. they uh, they want to stick up for banana ketchup. But they, even though they're originally from Manila, they now live in Wellington and Melbourne, respectively. This is a chance for us to say Melbourne right because we got uh, pe- people were annoyed at some way. One of us Melbourne. Said, said Melbourne in the past. Uh she uh Mari's visiting Perth and sent us a very distinctively shaped postcard of Oh, look at that. This must be the landmark of the of the Perth skyline, the bell tower, home of the swan bells. If you've ever wondered where the swan bells of Perth are located, this postcard would answer that question. In this oddly shaped tower. That oddly
1: shaped tower is extremely modernist, it making is. it feel like the swan bells are either. Uh, ancient bells that are held captive in this, like, uh, this bullet shaped building. Scandinavian looking building. Or they are just some bells that somebody made to go in this weird building.
0: Uh, the they, swan bells. All that Mari tells us is that the locals call this the giant syringe for obvious reasons. And it's a lovely shape for a building, but a terrible shape for a postcard. It's weird, but it survived it, with its tiny little points. The tip, as you'll see, has been a little bit battered by. Um, by the international mails, but it survived. And Mark cleverly even used the tip to write on that. She included that in her, in her uh, writing space. Thank you so much for sending this. Uh, thanks to all our antipodian uh, listeners, really, really the better hemisphere, even though we, we were a little bit anti-Afrikaans.
1: The, uh, the Swan Bells are a set of 18 bells hanging in a specially built 82 meter high copper and glass.
0: Campanil. Oh yeah, well, eighteen bells means you can play the the Perth School fight song, whatever that is.
1: <laughs> we are the Thunderbirds.
0: University of Washington now has a campanil, but it never used to. It was, I think it was recently donated. Where is it? It's just off Red Square, just like um, what is that? Just north of Kane, I think. Oh, oh the
1: bell tower. You know what that also is? It's uh, those are chimneys. Yes. For it's, the it's not that parking garage.
0: I don't think they put it there, did they? Oh. It's on the other side of Kane like towards the library. Oh. Uh BYU had a uh campanile or carillon or whatever you call it. Uh and I, I
1: refuse to call it either thing.
0: And my dad has some story when he was at law school there of him and a friend finding it on, unlocked and going up there and playing light my fire on the on the bells, which is a pr- if you're that's thinking of good. a funny keyboard part to play on a campanile, that's a pretty good choice. That's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, I have no idea if that story's true, but it would probably get you kicked out of BYU even today. Listeners, from our vantage point uh, here in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We have no idea how long scouting survived, but I predict a comeback once the, uh, once the waters rise. Now, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, uh, as good news, though it may be for the weebelows. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.